Hello, I'm Tom Eden, and you're listening to the Spotlight Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight Podcast with me, Will Longman. This week, my guest is Tom Eden, who's currently gearing up to start in Jamie Lloyd's brand new production of Serrano de Bergerac at the Playhouse Theatre. It's Jamie Lloyd's first production in a year's worth of plays at the Playhouse Theatre, but it's far from the first time he's worked with Tom. Tom appears in Pinter 3, the third production in the Pinter at the Pinter season, alongside none other than Lee Evans, as well as the Great West End production of Dr Faustus, alongside Kit Harrington. You'll also know Tom from his Tony-nominated role in One Man, Two Governors, as well as Amadeus, Matilda and Oliver, all of which we touch on during the course of the podcast. But first, we chatted backstage, nestled in the company manager's office, about one of his biggest loves outside of theatre. I read an interview with you. Yes. uh, Around Amadeus time. Oh yes, that's right, yes. uh, Which detailed your step into loving classical music. Oh yes, indeed. You were a big, a big classical music fan? Big classical music fan. Yeah. Big, big fan. And I, I try to go to concerts as much as I can. In fact, uh, obviously once one is up and running in performance, it's very hard to get to concerts. But um, in rehearsals, which have just sort of, well, coming to the business end of, I've been going to quite a few concerts at mm-hmm. Festival Hall and Barbican. But yeah, since I was about 10, really, uh, I really, really got into classical music and it kind of stuck and I just... It's it's one of the things that if you do get into it, it, it you you can't run out. You mm. know, it's it, it if you have an insati- insatiable appetite for it, it'll keep delivering great feasts of. Um, you think you've heard it all, and then you haven't, and you know you'll discover something new. So that I enjoy, and I enjoy the evolution through the eras from Baroque to classical to Romantic into twentieth century. I find that really fascinating how that all changes mm-hmm. and who borrows and is developed by whom and so forth. And that all started from the age of 10 or 11? Yeah, about that time. I remember my mum, we had a record of, mum was, my mother was very into classical music and sings um, in choirs and stuff. And she had a record of Rossini opera overtures. And I heard the William Tell one, the famous one. That one that everyone knows. But I remember as a really young child, there must have been about four actually, I just sort of gripped me and went, oh my goodness, something that you can listen to that, that is feels like a story or feels like a picture or feels like drama. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think my response to drama and storytelling, to use that slightly um, tired phrase, I probably first started with music, actually, before, before I got turned on to it with... Um, Theatre and so forth. Did you have a similar kind of moment when you were discovering classical music and art forms Mm. like that with theatre and drama? Well, I guess my epiphany with sort of drama probably wasn't from seeing anything. It probably sort of came internally. I think... uh, I don't really remember seeing much theatre when I was very small, but I think maybe being like a sort of... I'm not a middle child, but I'm a twin, and there's one of three... And I think there was a sense that I had to sort of slightly... I became a bit of a show-off as a child, I think, to sort of um, um, get noticed or get attention like we all do. And um, and you notice rewards from it. Or, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you start to get good at getting attention, you're like, oh, OK, I can do that. I can make people laugh or I can show off and stuff. And there was a local drama group that was just a bit of fun, really, on a Saturday. And... Um, 
Yes, and then we did Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and I was grumpy. Okay. Uh, which was my, my stage debut. But, um, God, I must have been, like, tiny then, like six or five or six. Um, but it wasn't really until uh, secondary school, I suppose, um, that... Oh, no, no, primary school, I did... It was a big show-off. We did James and the Giant Peach, and we did uh, Joseph and the Technical Dreamcoat. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I was a big show-off and got a thumbs up for being... Good. So it's all sort of a craven attempt to sort of, you know, <laughs> to feed my ego, really. But I suppose, I suppose a real, um, a real interest in the actual form mm-hmm. began in secondary school. I had a very, very good uh, drama teacher who was uh, called Jenny Haynes, who was incredibly supportive, enthusiastic, and responded to sort of sponge-like minds. In fact, I was in the same class as... My, my best friend at school was Joe Hill Gibbons, who's now oh, wow. a director, yes. very successful and fascinating director. Um, and we were best mates at school, and we were both sort of, um, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, sort of um, taken into our drama teacher's sort of great world of enthusiasm and... Mm-hmm. From from early teens, I was kind of like, oh, I want to be an actor, and he was like, yeah, I think I want to be a director, and and here we are, really, and yeah. and and really, lots of theatre trips, and I think I think when I first actually was turned on by going to the theatre and going, ah, that's where I want to be, I want to be mm-hmm. one of those people, was our school did a lot of trips to um, the National Theatre. Okay. I remember I saw Fiona Shaw in Mackinac, I saw Julia McKenzie and Sweeney Todd, and. Just brilliant, brilliant Alan Howard, who who was in a lot of stuff then, and really turned on by these sort of um, the the real theatrical establishment, I suppose, at that point. And uh, yeah, I was I was like, yeah, I want to do that for a job. Have you worked with Joe since since you? Yes, played? we did yeah. Measure for Measure together uh, at the Young Vic. Yeah, um, which was really really nice. Yeah, um, and it, it was strange. It was just sort of it was it was lovely and strange, but it was the fact that. We'd known each other since we were, I don't know, about twelve, you know, and here we were in the in the um, in the profession as as you know, grown ups, yeah. you know. So um, it was quite nice. There was quite a quite a. Um, we didn't have to say much to each other. Actually, we sort of got it. I, I think, I think he knew what he wanted, and he immediately went, "Oh, well, I know Tom. Tom could do that." Okay. And so uh, he went, "Oh, you know what I want," and I was like, "Yeah." And it was, and that was it. And then. And then there's, of course, the craziness of his productions. And I'm yeah. going, what are we doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I loved that show. And um, I think a lot of people really responded to it as well. So I wanted to, speaking of directors, we're here backstage at the Playhouse yes. where you're doing Serrano de Bergerac Correct. with Jamie Lloyd. And you worked with Jamie last year. Indeed. Pinter 3. Yes. And in Faustus. Of course. Yes. What is it like working with Jamie? Because he attracts so many... So yeah. many talented people in yes, his production. Yes, he does. I think, uh, well, speaking for myself, I I really, I mean, you know, it's going to sound like I'm just sort of, um, you know, being sycophantic, but I do genuinely really, really like working with Jamie. I don't quite know how he does it, but he's got a very, very quick way, uh, almost immediately, of creating a sense of loyalty to the piece, a real sense of team, and... Um, and an enthusiasm for whatever crazy idea he's got and you know what unconventional idea he might have and that as an actor is just such a nice environment to be in he really values what the actor does he really likes actors mm-hmm. and he likes what actors can bring 
when they're playing around. And I mean, on Faustus, I mean, any crazy idea. I mean, it became a thing that we would joke about a stupid, crazy idea that we could do. And he'd go, yeah, let's do it. And we started to edit ourselves going, don't say that. Don't say, oh, let's, you know, wrestle in a shower of blood because then he'll do it. And, you know, that ended up happening and things like that. But um, no, he's just really, it feels, you know, actors are very delicate creatures. We just want to be loved. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, we're, we're, we're quite, we're like sort of pets, I suppose. You just have to feed us and tell us we're marvellous. And he really acknowledges everyone and everyone around as well you know there's no sense of hierarchy or you know top dog or you know there's none of that and very easily um despite the best efforts i think companies can you know any any group of people you 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 can get into politics and get into sort of you know who's the alpha male or alpha whatever and they just it seems free of that i don't know quite how he does it but i think he's he's a very good leader he's got a very strong vision that he's very confident and clear on and you kind of relax you kind of go great yeah i'm in you know you yeah. sign up and um in terms of him getting like big names and stuff i think i, I you know all these no matter how big these people are whether it's mcavoy or, or kit harrington or lee evans or people like that um they all just want to do good work, you know. Yeah. The, the, you know these superstars. They're all they all started out as people uh, who want to do good stuff, and and uh, that, you know, uh, in an unpretentious way. And it's not necessarily that they're big names. That's almost secondary to the fact that they're perfectly cast. It's yes. always it's always it's yeah. never miscast. No, it's no, indeed, yeah. So it's a very good point. And I think he, um, I mean, clearly he's had a long-standing um, relationship with with James McAvoy, and they really click off each other. And James, James is a perfect example of someone who's a, you know, huge movie star. Mm-hmm. But what's so wonderful about him is he, he's he's it takes two seconds to realise that this guy's priority is his craft and mm-hmm. what he does on stage. And you know, for all the great movies he's done, he it seems he he needs to come back to the stage just to sort of not check that he's still got it I mean, but you know what I mean just, yeah. just keep his keep it alive you know it's where it's at get his fix yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really where it's at it's, what's that Derek Jacobi phrase he said oh, I'll probably get it wrong but it's like TV makes you famous film makes you money but theatre's where it's at right. and I think there's a I mean you know we can all <laughs> comfort ourselves <laughs> about that but but I think there is something in that in terms of like if you're an actor that's the juice mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and um, uh, yeah I think we all felt that in all those productions yeah. you mentioned working with Lee Evans yes. in The Pinter yeah. and doing some research there's a fantastic production shot of uh, Lee on one side and you oh, sticking yeah, yeah, your yeah. tongue out yeah, 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 yeah. what was it like working with him because it seems like your acting styles are quite similar it's kind of this heightened okay, you can do this yeah, kind yeah. of heightened comedy sure sure yeah, yeah. Um, oh I loved Lee I mean Lee is just He's such an adorable person, and he's exactly what you think he's going to be, and you're going to, you love him in the way that exactly you think you will. Um, but you kind of feel quite protective of him. He's he's, he's almost like a sort of child in a way. Um, it, it's sort of innocent uh, in a in a way, and um, he's a very sensitive and, and very beautiful person. Um, well, the nice thing about that picture that you mentioned that was that we were due to do one sketch together in Pinter Three because it was a sort of medley of shorter pieces more so than the others in the, in the season I had a monologue and Mira Sayal had a monologue and there was lots of little bits and um, 
that sketch that we did, we wasn't programmed actually. We did, there was a, what was so lovely about the Pinter season that Jamie did, it felt like a sort of festival. Mm -hmm. And at one point there was a gala for I think the 10 year anniversary of Pinter's death. And everybody was on stage. It was Sheila Hancock, Felicity Kendall, David Suchet, and it just went on and on and on, Hiddleston and Kit Harrington. In fact, that's where Tom Hiddleston did a piece from Betrayal and apparently said to Jamie, oh, I think I should probably do this play. And they whipped out a contract in record time, I should imagine. Um, But at that, there was a sketch that I did with um, Colshaw. John Colshaw. Colshaw, Thank you. And um, it was that sketch and it went down really well. It was really funny. And Jamie just went, oh, you and Lee, should, we should pop that into the show. And, uh, and, and it, turned out being, it turned out to be one of the best, one of the highlights of my show and, and anyway. And, and it, it opened Act Two and it was a really, really funny bit. But yeah, I can't really, oh yeah, we just downed a pint. That was it, the, the gag at the end of that we were downing a pint and Lee took, uh, made a, a whole thing out of it, obviously. And yeah, we were sort of uh, doing the hacker face at each other having finished it. But no, I, I think, there was a lovely balance performing with Lee because, you know, I'm used to in certain shows, as you say, sort of doing a lot of physical comedy stuff. That you can't. There's a real dance with Lee because mm-hmm. you're on stage with this person that everyone's going to be focused on, obviously. But equally, he there, there's this dance, and it's not about being the straight guy, but it's about it's about serving the sketch at the end of the day. Um, but it was a it, it was a very interesting process for me to sort of go how does this how does this sketch work mm-hmm. actually without it being imbalanced yeah you mentioned earlier working with joe yes and joe knew exactly what he wanted from you and you knew what to deliver yes. from that kind of style yeah and then talking about jamie you knew he knew what he wanted from you and how to get that out of you i think so yeah I've almost rather foolishly gone into talking about you and doing physical comedy because uh-huh. roles like that in the Pinter yeah, and yeah. and playing Wormwood in <clears throat> Matilda. Oh yes, it's only a certain type of actor that can do that and pull mm, it off well. Mm. So I'm I'm interested in how you would describe your own acting style. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I think I do respond physically. I think that's something. It was interesting because when I did One Man Two Governors. Um, which I'll mention if you would. No, I'm joking. Um, no, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm being a ham. I'm being a terrible, terrible ham. No. Um, uh, what was interesting is that was the first time I got any sort of real attention. And so I did start doing these sorts of things in interviews and stuff. And people kept asking me, you know, what was your style? What did you do? And I sort of I hadn't thought about it. I thought, oh, I don't know, really. But, you know, um, but I do respond physically. I know that. Um, but I equally wouldn't want to be... As soon as you start pigeonholing yourself, um, it, you, it feels like a restriction. It feels mm-hmm. like a kind of... And, and the thing I've really cherished in my career, um, to use that word, is variety. And, I'm, you know, when things come up, I'm able to go, yes, I'm right for that or I'm not right mm-hmm. for that. But that's what I love about Jamie is that Jamie goes, well, I think you could do pretty much anything, actually. Okay. You know, I think there's certain, maybe certain areas of the industry go oh yes Tom can do A, B and C mm-hmm. um, what I love about Jamie is he goes yeah but I reckon he could do X, Y and Z as well yeah. you know and that as an actor is real is real um, manner from heaven so I don't know about a style I mean yeah if, if, if you'd only ever seen me doing Tenardier and Les Mis and Fagin and Oliver and Mr. Wormwood and Matilda, which are all basically the same part, you'd go, oh, okay, he's funny. He can do funny and nasty at the same time. Yeah. And he can hold a tune in a bucket. But, um, uh, so yeah, there's that. But um, 
I don't know really. I don't. I don't know about style. I, I respond physically, but equally, there's part of me that gets very forensic, mm-hmm. um, cerebrally, and goes, "I have to know exactly what's happening here, otherwise." what I don't like is catching myself on stage and having a voice in my head going, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Yeah. You know, or anything vague. I was very lucky to do a movie with Mike Lee and it was only two weeks filming for me. And, uh, you know, I'm in a couple of scenes, but that was like a nine week rehearsal process. And we did, and basically all of it was research and research and research and more research and a real forensic laying of a foundation of who this person was and that anything that, happened you would be able to respond mm-hmm. in character and i really enjoyed that i mean that was, it was very luxurious but in a way and then the next thing i did after that or one of the next things was fagin for daniel evans in sheffield and i thought right i am gonna dot every what do you dot the eyes and cross every t um so that I, you know on day one of rehearsal i am so immersed in the reality of who these persons mm-hmm what this person's life is because that's only my job that's the only thing I've got to do yeah. in all of that you know everyone else has got to do everything else and cover this base and that base and everything but when you're playing a part it's your job no one else's and you're on your own and no one else is doing it so you sort of there's a sort of um, not to sound too pretentious but there is a responsibility because you go well it's down to me now you know and, and to represent this person um, so that's a long-winded answer, but I guess a bit of both, a bit of physical and a bit of a bit of mental, a bit of fire, a bit of ice. There's an interesting documentary on Netflix. I think it's called Jim and Andy, and it's about Jim Carrey. Oh, God, yes, he's bonkers, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's oh, in the film Man on the Moon, and he really gets into that character, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Too far. He does, <laughs> yes. I wonder if uh, someone else maybe slightly further down the trough was uh, using that <laughs> method, whether they'd last that long, but yeah. yeah. No, he, yeah, you, yeah th- that was full immersion, yes. Yeah. I don't know whether that's sustainable on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> quite, but um, no, I know what you mean. It's interesting you were recalling the very, very, very first roles you ever had when you were oh, yeah. really young, playing Grumpy yes, yes. and in Joseph, because mm. a lot of the time I'll talk to an actor and they recall their first moment in drama school, the first production. Oh, yeah, had. yeah. So what would that little boy have said to the Tom that was sat... Radio City Musical at the Tony Awards. Yeah, I've been nominated. It was really no, no. It was the one year they not. didn't do it there. They did I, it up at the. Um, no, no, but it was an anomaly. It was uh, they did it there, and then they were like, "Oh, we're not going to do it there again." So, um, <laughs> not the Kodak Theatre. That's the Oscars, isn't it? Um, oh, I can't remember. It's called. I can't remember. It's terrible. Um, what would the child say to the to the the man? Yeah. Um, well, I think. Uh, It'd be flabbergasted, uh, really, because um, I think I only really thought in my head, oh, what would? It, how do you actually be an actor? Like, how do you actually do that, like, properly? Mm-hmm. And, and decide that that's what you're doing. I think that probably only started about 16. Okay. Um, and I think when I was six, I thought I was going to be a cartoonist. I was pretty convinced about that. So I think the child would say to the man... Um, Oh, well done. Great. <laughs> you've done all right, haven't you? Um, you? You've maybe taken it a bit too far. Um, <laughs> control yourself. Um, yeah, that's no, interesting, because usually the question is the other way around, isn't it? What would you say to the child? But I think... The child... Let's go the other way around then as well. No, well, yeah. I, well, I suppose the, the stock question is... Um... Well, it's funny that, actually. I was asked that the other day as well. What would you say? But and in a way, you kind of don't want to say anything, because mm. you don't want... It's like going back in time. You can't, you can't touch anything, otherwise you'll ruin it. And in a way, I think if you'd... Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think the question of confidence comes up a lot. And in a way, what you immediately go is, if I could speak to my younger self, I'd say, look, don't worry. 
don't beat yourself up you're doing great and it's all going to be fine mm -hmm. and in a way if you have that assurance maybe you take your foot off the gas a little bit like maybe you need that I don't know maybe you need that not doubt but you need that uh, hunger mm -hmm. and if someone says to you actually you'll never be hungry it's all going to be good maybe that's maybe that relaxation doesn't help maybe you need to go maybe there needs to be I mean we're going into slightly yeah. stress makes you perform better doesn't it that's maybe not the... stress but maybe maybe I don't know hunger I think is the thing and you need you do need to sort of slightly elbow things out of the way not people but like preconceptions and doubts and and I, I think if you don't have that when you're young mm. you know because in my 20s my career was really patchy and it wasn't a given that I'd end up on the West End or doing marvellous things or, or sort of highlights that we can look back on um, it wasn't none of that was a given it was all a bit of a scrap and uh, but the one thing that got me through is that when you're young you kind of you push you push through like you you kind of bounce back and you you have a bit of um I mean, I'm sure I was feeling just as sort of anxious and, and insecure about it all then, but uh, you just put one foot in front of the other. And mm -hmm. maybe if you speak to your younger self and tell you to sort of chill out a bit, maybe you don't put one foot in front of the other. You, know, yeah. you, you can't assume it's all coming your way. That's, I guess, what I'm thinking. Hi again. Tom was definitely one of the most switched on and funniest people I've had the pleasure of interviewing. So I really hope you're enjoying listening in on our chat. We get to the quick fire questions now where I fire 10 questions at our guests to answer as quickly as they can. Tom was a little bit determined to beat Giles Torreira, who was our first guest of the year, and I highly recommend you go through the back catalogue and listen to our podcast. But let's find out how he got on with that motivation. The best performance you've ever seen? Uh, Jessica Lang in One Day's Journey, Long Day's Journey Tonight. Your favourite theatre in London? Uh, Drury Lane. The last film you watched? Oh, God, um, the last film watched. Ah, oh, um, Irishman. Your interval drink? Oh, water. Your biggest passion outside of theatre? Um, bird watching and classical music, joint first. The role you've always wanted to play? Oh, God, uh, Fagin, I've played it. The best role you've ever played? Uh, Alfie and Fagin. London or New York? Oh, man, both, both. Your favourite composer? Um, oh, Sibelius. And one thing that you have to have in your dressing room? Um, um, my iPod. 36 seconds. Yes, Giles, eat that. That's pretty good. Oh, God. I'm glad I would that. But I was worried you were going to suddenly put it. What's your relationship like with your father? <laughs> Next time, maybe I yeah, should yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, right, well, where do we start with that? That was revealing, wasn't it? I hope so. Best performance you've ever seen, Jessica Lange. Yes, Long Day's Journey Tonight. I mean, there's a, there is a long list. I would add Jane Krakowski in Guys and Dolls. I would add, oh God, I mean, you could go on and on. I saw Paul Schofield's last performance ever. I saw um, Vanessa Redgrave in Cherry Orchard. I've seen some incredible things on stage. Mm -hmm. um, Bette Medler in Hello Dolly. But Jessica Lang in Long Day's Journey Tonight with Charles Dance, Paul Rudd and Paul Nichols about 12, 15 years ago. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I've never seen, I've seen Maggie Smith on stage, Judy Dench. I mean, obviously they're peerless and untouchable. But uh, Jessica Lang had this energy where and it's the kind of thing like Judy Garland has and some of these great actresses have you think they're going to fall into pieces or explode like a volcano there's this this potential for total power and total vulnerability at the same time and it's this knife edge I was just on the edge of my seat the whole night she is untouchable for me just wow. kind of and it was before all the American Horror Story and everyone was like oh just going just going like, I was <laughs> I was just going cheerleader from that night on. Uh, she yeah. blew my mind a couple of your 
answers related to Oliver Fagan. Oh yes, as your the best perform your favourite role that you've ever done, and the role you've always wanted to play. So was that one yeah. before? It was off to you. You wanted to play it. Yes. Well, I was in the. Um, there was a big, um, really a big turning point for me was when I turned thirty. My first job in London. My first job. Well, in, in uh, non fringe in London, and first West End job was the big revival of Oliver. Macintosh did in 2009 and 10 it was directed by Rupert Gould who I'd worked with at Northampton in my 20s and that was my way in and they originally saw me for Sowerbury and I didn't get it Julian Bleach got it Julian Bleach is just magnificent um, but I was second cover understudy Fagan and in the ensemble and I never went on um, but I'd always wanted to play that part and it's interesting I said that because they pro- if you'd asked me when I was 20 I'd have probably said Hamlet or mm-hmm. And if I thought more, I'd probably say Richard II or something like that. But I think there's something about Fagin that is a beautiful mix, maybe the mix we were talking about, of comedy and sort of almost a front-footed vaudevillian. And it's this incredible peach of a character. Um, So having understudied it and never played it, and I was in that for two years, it was sort of within touching distance. But, you know, it was Rowan Atkinson and then Griff Rhys-Jones and people Mm -hmm. like that. And then after uh, AG, after Governors, um, I went to a birthday. This is a slightly rambling story, but I'll keep it quick. I went to a, a birthday party and um, Daniel Evans was there. And I'd seen his My Fair Lady at the Crucible mm-hmm. the year before, which I thought was amazing. And I was gushing away and he was gushing about Governors and he loved it. And he, I said, what are you doing next? And he said, oh, we're doing Oliver. And as a joke, I said, oh, I could play Fagan as a joke because it was happening in like a month's time so I thought well they've cast somebody and he looked at me like are you serious and I sort of thought well I wasn't but I am now <laughs> and then he sort of the conversation ended and then sure enough on the Monday my agent called and said um, and I said oh, they want to see me for Fagan don't they and Sheffield yeah. they'd cast someone who shall remain nameless and they just dropped out that day wow so serendipity afforded that I was in front of Daniel and was feeling ballsy enough to say I could play Fagin <laughs> and so it happened and it was a real gift that part was very challenging very hard physically and vocally you know it, it wasn't a breeze but I absolutely loved 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 playing that part and I'd like to play it again um, so that felt that felt like I don't know if I'll ever play Richard II or things like <laughs> this but you know I'd love to but uh, whether anyone sees that but uh, that was a part I thought this is a great, yeah. This is a great part. And then Tenardier came out of that, and mm-hmm. Wormwood, and into those sort of uh, character lead roles in yeah. the Western musicals. That sort of came out of that. Yeah. I love those stories. Everything just falls into. Place. Oh my god! It was a complete fluke, and a fa- and <laughs> this is the thing, you know. Uh, even though one has one's insecurities and sort of lack of confidence or whatever, you know, in that moment, I felt emboldened enough to make crack a joke, mm-hmm. because in my head, I'm going. You know, people always say you have to kind of manifest things slightly, but. That was a little moment where I did, even if it was kind of a bit of a cheeky joke, I said, I could do it, you know. <laughs> but you only do that when you really know that's true. Like, I, I knew I could play that part, you mm-hmm. know. That, and it's not a sort of arrogance or stuff. You just go, no, that's me. That yeah. is me all over and gimme, you know. You, you gave a joint answer for best role you've ever played. Yeah. Well, it had to, the governors changed everything. Yeah. And Alfie and governors was just... Uh, I'll never have another job like that. And, I mean, maybe, who knows? I, I hope so. But I hope every actor gets to gets to have that sort of experience. Look, I was coming out of Ensemble, second cover, Fagan. I'd played a sort of jokey, sort of older man part in Oompa Pa in, in parts of Oliver. 
I'd got a new agent. I'd sort of, Alistair Coomer was sort of in my awareness socially and, and professionally. And they were looking for someone young who could play really old. And my agent was smart enough to go, well, you've kind of just been doing that, you know, a 30 year old understudying Fagin and playing these older men. Got to be funny, da 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 da. And the audition went well. And I was teaching actually at Erdang and I was doing some clowning workshops. So I was kind of in that mode in my head. And I thought, about, no, I know, I know what to do. And um, who knew? I mean, who knew? All the stars aligned. Corden, Richard Bean, Heitner, Cal McChrystal, The National. And it just, I mean, the rest is history. And that, but for a job like that, to be the first time I worked at the National Theatre, to be my second West End job, to be the first time I even went to New York, never mind performed on Broadway. And then all the things that happened, the Drama Disc Award, the Tony nomination, and just the whole kit and caboodle was like a dream it was like a mad dream and then the funny thing was coming back at these crazy auditions and jobs with like Mike Lee and Kenneth Branagh and, and doing Cinderella and they were all saying oh you must notice a real upturn in your career and I'm going yeah you're talking to me you didn't know who I was before this you know Mike Lee was like oh so have you noticed anyone you know this has helped your career and I'm like well this isn't bad you know like, this wasn't happening this wasn't on the cards two years ago was that the main thing that made you clock how big of a deal it was? Because sometimes I talk to people and they're in, you know, these phenomena mm. and it's kind of its own bubble and they yeah. don't see it from the outside. But were you aware how big it was? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, this was the beautiful thing. There were so many steps. There was the fact that it was this huge sensation at, at the National and then how well it sold at the West End, it broke records. And at that time we heard it was going to Broadway. And then once we got to New York, you know, it was all these wonderful layers mm. of, of next level kind of, I would say there's two, there was two moments, if I can indulge myself, that there's a slightly different culture, I think, in New York. In, the, in, 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 the, in London, it was the show that was the sensation. And, and I was singled out, I have to say, by reviews and so forth. And it did, it did really, I did feel very, very blessed by that. But there's something in New York where, where I think the establishment goes, who's that guy? Look at what he's doing. You know, they really, you know, there's such a connoisseurship and there's such an almost sort of junky level obsession with every aspect of what is going on in theatre, in Broadway and off Broadway, that if someone new comes along and they're going, who's that? What's he doing? You know, and... Um, the award season is its own thing and it, that's based on sort of you know i mean you can't believe any of it because if you do you you, you know you bang your head on something but it's real fun to sort of enjoy on, on a level like that but um but um the other moment i have to say was um actually our first preview at the national when we didn't quite know what we'd got and the first time i fell down the stairs because it's just the recurring gag of falling down these stairs in a very sort of un unexpected way um and I land on this mattress under the stage and there was me and Ollie Chris and David Benson and this enormous laugh sort of traveled like the blood out of the elevator doors in The Shining <laughs> came down the hall into the substage area like this tangible avalanche of sound. And we all looked at each other and was like, wow, yeah. this is supersonic. Wow. Like, and, and people going, this hasn't, these laughs haven't happened on, on, in the London theatre since sort of noises off that's what the people kept saying and, and and it became this new benchmark i'm not taking responsibility for that personally i'm just saying that was that was part of the phenomenon these you know people thought they had a comedy on their hands somewhere else and we were like no you don't get it this is rolling laughter this is people wetting themselves this is people falling off 
you know, there was a guy, the plant in the audience, he, he was always such a nice guy because he would tell us how the audience were responding. And he was saying, there was this one woman sat behind me who loved everything you were doing. He, she, she was laughing at everything you did. And then oddly, when you fell down the stairs, which was like the biggest laugh, she went quiet. Everyone else was falling about. And he said, that's strange. That woman who's been laughing at everything isn't laughing. And so we turned around to check and she was on the floor. <laughs> She'd actually fallen off her chair because she found it so. And that's Cal McChrystal, that's Richard Bean, that's myself, that's James Corden, that's the whole team. I'm yeah. not claiming that as a personal laurel, but it's. Um, what a thing to be a part of. Yeah, it was magic. Yeah. It was really magic. And, and lifelong friendships and, yeah. and a lifelong love now of New York. I've tried to go back every year since then and see my really good friend David and, um, and see the theatre and stuff, and it's just great. I told you we'd get around to it. I didn't forget it. No, 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 please. <laughs> My most my egotistical <laughs> territory, marking my egotistical territory. Thank you very much for your time, Tom, and all the best in surrounding. Thank you very, very, thank very much. Thank you very much for tuning in, and thank you to Tom for being such a wonderful guest. Make sure you get down to the Playhouse Theatre to see him in Serrano to Bergerac. You can get your tickets at londontheatre.co.uk. Be sure to leave us a comment or a rating wherever you get our podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. But until next time, thank you very much for listening.